Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Um, new series. We were builders for six or seven months. Wasn't quite that long. It was, it was long, though. Uh, and over the next four weeks, we're in a series we've called A Light Will Shine. And hopefully, you know, you already figured out. I just want to um, explain one thing this morning why Virgil was using a phallic word at church. I mean, I heard what I heard. Virgil, I love you, brother, but I heard what I heard twice. And I just thank you for that because, frankly, I can say anything this morning now and no one will remember me doing anything funny or wrong. I uh, thank you. It is a dog-eating part. <laughs> it's so good. Um, some of you are going like, hey, that was abnormal. Not that Virgil said peanuts. That's, that's what he said. Um, but that we had, uh, we had what we call the special, and it's not something we traditionally do at church, but um, what has happened in this season, and I'm just going to tie this right into the message this morning, actually. It seems like in this season we have a lot of fatigue. I think it's uh, some post-COVID fatigue for sure. Um, it's, our, it's our normal flu season. I remember my good doctor friend, she, she explained to me at the onset two and a half years ago with all the sanitizing, she said, just watch in a few years. The regular cold and flu is going to be really, really hard on people, and I think we're seeing some of that. And so in the church, I just want you to know, if you're, if you're feeling run down and tired, first of all, you're not alone. Um, second of all, um, it's okay for you to take a rest, as we talked about last Sunday. In fact, God requires you to rest, and it's wise to rest. Um, and so in, in the process of all that, we had an event planned for tonight, which we have typically done in past years, where we invite people from the church to come and have, share some sort of Christmas, Christmas talent with us. And we actually had very few people sign up, and so we made the decision in the past week that we were going to cancel that. And so now, Sunday morning, we uh, kicked it off with Virgil and the boys doing some Christmas tunes. And in the next coming weeks, uh, for those people who did sign up, they, did, they put a lot of work and they put time into it, we're going to make room on Sunday morning for those things to be shared with our congregation. And um, it probably will not be something we just continue to do, but in this season, it was the right call. We want to, uh, we want to honor our leaders in this church and our volunteers who work really, really hard to pull off events. And so I want to give permission for two things. Go ahead, rest up in this season. But also, don't get so caught up in your tiredness, in sickness, and in rest that you actually miss the season. It feels like Christmas has taken some people by surprise this year. And I want you to know Christmas is happening at the same time. Right? And, and, as, and we all want life to go on, and we're looking for life to come back to normal. Guys, it's never going to come back to the same kind of normal. And so it's, this, is, this is a season, if I can just say it to you this way, we got to let go of our frustration, we got to let go of our anger, we got to trust God no matter what, we got to trust Him for the good and better things. For our church this past year, what have we been saying? We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so my prayer for you this season, as we go through this series, is just that, that you will trust God, that you will see His goodness in the land in this day in your life. And it's important for us that a light will shine, because this is a wonderful, wonderful time of year. Um, and I want to talk to you today about what that actually looks like, because in the, um, in the fallout of wokeism and what I'm going to call this morning uh, a, a bit of a reformation movement, what we're seeing is a lot of, a lot of uh, exchanging of ideas and what are really, in my opinion, fallacies. We have people who, who want to be reformers because they see a very woke style of church emerging 
which, which of course you and I probably are in agreement on that we, we don't think that's right. I mean, you've heard me say from this pulpit, the statement love is love is actually a fallacy. The scripture says that God is love and, and love has to be defined before it can be lived out. Okay, so, we, so, so that's one example of what I would say. The other side would go to this Reformation side of things uh, that, that in an attempt to kind of battle against the, the extreme uh, the wokeness of everyone, they're reforming in their language to bring the church back to something that is actually very legalistic and dogmatic. And, and that's not right either. And that's why I would say it's exchanging one fallacy for another. It's exchanging one one questionable stance, in my opinion, for another questionable stance, and that's not what we're called to be. In fact, there was a theologian who once said that when you take the extremes of two doctrines, probably right in the middle is where the truth will be. And so I, I encourage you as we think through and as we talk through this series about a light will shine, this morning especially, I want you to consider the value of light and the value of who Jesus says he is, the value of who the scripture says Jesus is. And so I want to share this with you in this way, because you and I are called to do good works. We're called to encourage one another all the more. Well, today is still called today, encourage each other. And Jesus is actually not shy on telling us to do good things and good works. And in fact, scripture goes to great lengths in many places in the New Testament and the Old Testament to say, do good, do good, do good. And we need to let that happen because those good works are the light that shines before men so that God will be glorified. So we're going to start uh, with a statement from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. If you have your Bible this morning, uh, go ahead, open it up to there. And uh, I would love to read from my Bible, but I can't because the print is too small and the light is too dim for my eyes right now. So I'm going to read it to you off of the screen. Uh, but here's what it says, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and then glorify their Father who is in heaven. So this series is about light. A light will shine. And we're going to bounce around the Bible over the next few weeks, and I hope that you'll discover the depth and richness of Jesus coming to this world as we celebrate Christ this season. One of my favorite passages, without a doubt, in all of Scripture is John 1. The book of John, chapter, the whole chapter is wonderful. It's great. A lot of people uh, use it as the definitive source on defining the deity of Christ. Uh, there are actually better, there are better sources in Scripture that define the deity of Christ, although the book of John does a great job, uh, where Jesus himself is acknowledging his deity. Uh, but, but I want to share it with you this morning. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. He was in the beginning with, or sorry, <laughs> all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I really do love that passage. And it's, it's actually hard for me because I end up saying it from memory and I end up reading it at the same time. But I love the passage, and I know many of you do as well, but I want to boil it down to a very simple point this morning. I told the team this was a short preach today. They all laughed at me. And you can laugh too. That's okay. Um, I'm gonna, I am going to keep it. I'm going to keep it short this morning. I want you to pay attention to this. John 1:4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. I share the whole passage because the context is so important. But if we boil it down to its simple part, the point of the light of Christ is to illuminate and to enlighten men. That's what it is. And when I say men, I mean mankind. So women too. And for those of you who still struggle with this and have a problem with this, guys, raise your hands. Everybody, come on. Every man in this church, raise your hand. Okay, congratulations. You're the bride of Christ. Okay. Ladies, did you raise your hand? Hey, you're the sons of God, okay? So it, it's, it's all good, man. And I'm not making a statement about gender either, Okay. Listen, men and women are made in the image of God. That's us. And together we actually represent the complete image of God. That's why it's so important for us to understand what Scripture teaches us about who we are. So in him was life, and that life was the light of man. The point of the light of Christ, who he actually is, the point of his coming was to increase vision and understanding, not just to our, our world and our understanding of it, not just to our intellect. And I think this is most important. What does the light come to do? In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light came to illuminate the condition more than anything else of man's soul. The deficit in our human nature, which is, which is something that separates us from God. That carnal nature, the carnal reality, the temporal reality of who we are, forever separated from God because of our sin, Jesus came to bring light to that part of mankind. And the, the, the wonderful thing about light is there's so many spin-offs, right? Like if we turn on a light, it doesn't just illuminate one little thing, it illuminates everything the light touches, which is, which is quite a profound thing if you're willing to go on the little journey with me this morning. But it really, the light of Jesus really does come to us and in us and through us because that light is life and it is light for the enlightenment of man. It's supposed to illuminate something. Long before John wrote that passage, and this is John, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved, and of course he wrote his own book, right? The book of John was written by John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. And John the disciple refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Which I would too, I guess, if I was writing a book of the Bible. Why not? <clears throat> He's referring to John the Baptist. And long before John the Baptist had come to declare that Jesus was coming, we have the book of Psalms, which talks about the light of God as well. And in the book of Psalm 119.105, we read this. Psalm 119 is, by the way, the longest book of the Bible. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp for my feet and a light to my path. I'd like to draw your attention to the particular fashion in which we ought to use the light in the times that we are in. 
Because a lot of people are doing it the wrong way. As I shared before, they're moving to these dogmatic, old, and legalistic forms of Christianity in attempt to illuminate and light up the fact that the world is very broken. I don't know if you realize this, but I think the average follower of Jesus Christ is aware that the world is a very broken place. All right? I, I, I hope I don't have to argue anyone into that reality because that reality is plain and it's all around us. But so one of the things people are doing is they're, they're turning their light onto all the things that are wrong. And, 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 and by its nature, light does expose what is going on in darkness. It absolutely does. Some of these folks would call what they're doing reformation. They're bringing the church. They're bringing people into this reformed sense because things have gone off kilter. Well, that may be true in part. But as I said before, simply turning one misguided fallacy into another is not, not going to be of any benefit to us. And it's not going to be of any benefit to your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Because there's still no power of God in them. And you can become as legalistic, religious, dogmatic as you like. You can become as woke and as sensitive as you like. But let me tell you something, church. If there is no power of God in you, you have missed the boat. And you're believing in a fallacy. You're believing in something that is not wholly true. If there's no power of God in you, what's going on? If there's no light in you, what's going on? When there's no power of God in you and there's no love of God in you, what is left? Well, not anything that's going to help move someone closer to Jesus, I can tell you that. So as one side continues to water down truth and stand on false assertions of God's word, the other side goes extreme opposite and does the same thing all over again, just on the wrong side. But both are trying to illuminate something. And the problem is, is that the way in which they try to use the light... The way that they try to illuminate the things around them, all they're actually doing is blinding everyone. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but in my spare time, I don't have any spare time, who am I kidding? But in my off time where I'm not uh, specifically pastoring our church, I choose to keep one foot well grounded in communities outside of the church. One of the ways I do that is by guiding. So I have been in the bush many, 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 many times with grown men carrying rifles, who are deathly afraid of bears. <laughs> deathly afraid of bears. I mean, we might be out for a week and nobody has seen a bear, smelled a bear, thought the word bear, but as soon as it gets dark or twilight-ish, all of the sudden, every movie they've ever watched where there was a killer bear that craved the flesh of man, that is exactly what's going to happen. And here's what they do. Every single one of these brave men with large guns... They reach into their, back, their backpack or their pocket and they pull out the latest, fanciest 1,000 lumen headlamp. I mean, it is brighter than the lights on a brand new Chevy. And they take and they slap it on their forehead or they put it in their hand and, and, they, and they think they're helping. Because the hunting guide doesn't know the trail in their mind. The hunting guide doesn't know where the bears are or aren't. The hunting guide can't possibly know because, because what happens when people get afraid and it's dark, all they want to do is illuminate what's in front of them. Well, here's the problem that's created in my little analogy for you this morning. When they pull out that headlamp because they're afraid of what they cannot see or what they perceive they cannot see, they effectively blind themselves and they blind everyone else. 
And some of you have experienced this, our young adults experience this uh, every Friday night when we watch a, a video or something like that together in the dark, and then we flick on the lights. How does it feel, guys? Right, right? It's, it's actually not that pleasant to have your eyeballs shocked because the way God made your eye was to react with extreme efficiency to changes in light. But the process of that is actually a little bit um, disillusioning. It's a little bit hard to keep up with as your, irises, uh, as your irises shrink and the muscles in your eye begin to freak out and twitch and try to figure out how to regulate the amount of light that's hitting that optic nerve at the back of the eyeball and, and sending messages to the brain about what you should do with the information you're now trying to process. I mean, if you can explain to me how the eye works and, and why it works the way it does, I will give you points and you probably have a good grasp on theology. If you can really, truly understand it. But light's a funny thing when people use it in fear, when people use it without understanding what it's actually intended to do. And it's actually really kind of rude. I know Torah will never, ever hold this against me, so I'm just going to shine this light right in her face. And if I take it away from Torah's eyes, she can't see me the same way she did before I shone my light right in her face. Right, Torah? It's a little different now. Ryan, does it work for you? Okay, no light. Now light. Okay, now can you see me? Can you see anything that's going on in this room at this point in time? Not as good. I think you probably understand my point. People have a funny, they have a funny idea when they're motivated by fear about what they need to see, what they want to see, and how they're going to go about trying to see it. Now, when this poor six foot four man who weighs 250 pounds and is actually in really good shape, probably was serving in the military somewhere, some part of the world, is walking behind me. And he chooses to shine his light and actually make his own eyes ineffective, inefficient. I actually have to stop. I have to turn around and say, okay, listen here, Bill. What I want you to do is put your light away because I can actually still see. And if you take out your light and you blind me, and you blind yourself, and there happens to be a bear, or there happens to be whatever else it is you're afraid of out here, neither of us are going to be able to see it, because you've essentially rendered our eyeballs useless. Because of how you try to use your light. And so, with a little bit of help and training, if it gets really dark, I will take out my light, and what will I do with it? Will I shine it in my own eyes? No. Will I shine it in his eyes? No. What will I do? I'm going to shine it where it's most useful, aren't I? I'm going to shine it on the ground. I'm going to hold it nice and low so that it doesn't blind him and it doesn't blind anyone else. And in the same way, the Word of God is a lamp. The Word of God is a light. And Jesus in us is a light and he's a lamp. But when we use it the wrong way, we don't use it with efficiency. We don't use it to its effective purpose. And there's a lot of people in the world today with their revelation, with their illumination, with what they think is enlightening, that are running around shining an awful lot of light in the eyes of an awful lot of people. And guess what? It's not working. It doesn't work. Because the light of Christ is not a light to shine in your eyeballs. It's a light to illuminate the path. And it's a light to illuminate the path of others. And why is this path? Pastor Trav, you keep talking about the path. Why is the trail so important? Well, it's so important because what did Jesus say in the book of John? John chapter 4. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father unless they come through me. 
You see, church, when we take our light and we think, well, I'm, I'm going to be a, a light bearer and I'm going to be a light theologian and I'm going to be a light doctrinal specialist and I'm going to be a, a light this and a light that and my illumination is so much better than everyone else's. My, my spiritual flashlight is 10,000 lumens strong. You know what your light is good for? Shining on the ground. It's what it is. My light and your light. This city on a hill that cannot be hidden. This lamp that is lit and raised high to, to bring light to an entire room is not a light that is focused into the people. Rather, it's a light that's put in front of them. Why? You know that no matter how good your doctrine is, your doctrine will never bring someone to Jesus. Do you know matter... Do you, <laughs> And this is going to be really hard for some of you, and I'm certainly not saying that doctrine is not important. It absolutely is. Our grasp of doctrine and theology is desperately important. But listen, it is not the means by which salvation comes to you or I or anyone. How does salvation come? Well, the Bible teaches us that no one can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit is the one who draws him. See, there has to be a drawing. And so if you can just follow this word, this picture, this word analogy I want to use with you today. If Wes is lost and the Spirit of God is drawing him, explain to me how I'm being helpful if as a Christian I walk over to him and shine my flashlight in his eyeballs. That doesn't work. The Holy Spirit is drawing him. If Jesus says that you and I are the light of the world, then what does our light need to do? Our light needs to illuminate the path. And I know this is a simple message. And I actually sometimes, honestly, as a pastor, I feel a little embarrassed of simple messages. But then the more I look at how things are going in my life and your life, I'm like, holy smokes, we really need a simple message. Because sometimes we're a little dumb. You are the light of the world. If you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus, you are the light of the world. I, I, some of you also won't like this because you're a little too religious still. You are God's plan. Well, no, you can't say that. Jesus, yeah, Jesus is God. But we, we already covered that a long time ago. We're not saying that you are Jesus. We're saying that the church is God's plan. The church is the means by which God wants to let his light shine through, flow through, live through, be through, so that it illuminates the path that people are walking on because the Spirit of God is always drawing someone to himself. So get out of the way. Step aside. Hold your light high. Hold your light low. Just use it to illuminate the path for someone. This is why Scripture teaches so much about good works. And we all acknowledge already that faith without works is dead. Faith is the reason that you get to experience Jesus and know Jesus and come to faith in Jesus and trust Him and, and be in heaven. Faith is, faith is faith. But faith without any good works is dead faith. And so the churches that argue back and forth about this to me, they honestly, they drive me nuts. Because it's really quite simple. You are saved by grace through faith, 
not of works so that no one can boast. But in that, you also must produce good works. Why? Because God actually, long before you existed, predestined and created you for good works so that you would walk in them in Christ Jesus. All Bible right there. All Bible. And it's so important that you and I understand that if Jesus is the way and our job is to illuminate the way so that people can find him, your good works need to shine in front of people. And this season, above all seasons, the Christmas season, is a season to do good work. It's a season to let your light shine before men so that God will be glorified. This is a season that is more powerful than any other season. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because during the First World War, when Christmas Eve came and the British and German soldiers were entrenched against each other in the First World War, one Christmas Eve, somehow in the midst of that blood, that battle, that pain, that loss, that division, somebody who loved Jesus on this side and somebody who loved Jesus on that side decided, you know what? Oh, I think we should have tea with them. Some German guys over there, and I, I'm sorry for making light of this. You just needed a little bit of comic relief because it was getting a little awkward in the room. And the German guy was, yeah, this seems like a good idea. I think we should have some tea with them. And can you just get with me in that moment? What kind of a miracle took place in the trenches of the First World War on a Christmas Eve in the middle of the blood and gore? Let me tell you something, guys. That is the power of the gospel in the hearts of men. What can Jesus do? Jesus can stop a war. The birth of Jesus, its celebration, is, is so exponentially powerful. And here's our problem. Everybody's running around trying to illuminate the wrong things. Keep Christ in Christmas, government of Canada. You know, I'm offended too that our government doesn't like Christmas. It is offensive to me. But why should that change anything about how I live my life today? Why? Why should it change? Is my relationship with Jesus dependent on the government of Canada? No, it is not. And maybe, just maybe, because those of us who try to follow Jesus get illuminating the wrong things, maybe that is why governments go the way they go. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's always simple to know what to do and how to do it and where to do it. In fact, it's impossible, which we're going to touch on in the coming weeks. But I'll give you this much as I close. Worship team, you come back. I'll give you this much. You actually can't make some of those decisions without Jesus. You actually can't make some of those decisions without him speaking in you, living in you, moving in you, being a part of your life. You can't set him on the shelf like the elf and think that somehow you're going to have the, the, the intellect and the spiritual maturity to understand what to do with your coworker whose life is falling apart. Guys, you've got to be in the spirit and of the spirit at all times. You have to be sober-minded at all times. 
There's no room for some of the, some of the, the delirium that we want to participate in off to the side all the time because, guys, we, we got to be switched on. Jesus in you should enlighten people to their need for Jesus. And not because you're screaming at them about how wrong or right something is. But because of what you do and how you live. Jesus in you should enlighten the people that connect to you of their need of Jesus. So that light needs to shine from your business. That light needs to shine out of your home. That light needs to shine out of your marriage. It needs to shine out of your parenting. It needs to shine out of your kids. It needs to shine out of everything you put your hand to. And by no means am I kingly in that manner. When I drive across town, the same words and thoughts go through my mind that goes through yours. When my kids frustrate me, when my wife frustrates me, the same emotions want to come out, and sometimes they really do. Right, hon? It's okay. It's okay that you're a mess. It's okay that you haven't got it figured out. We always tell you at this church, all you got to do is the next right thing. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards the prize. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. And we need to acknowledge the things that have gone wrong in the past to bring healing and reconciliation often. We, we often do. But today, right now in this place, the light of the world is in you and he's in me. And all we, got to, all we have to come to the understanding of is that light needs to, needs to show someone else the way. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you actually are totally disconnected from that message because you're going, I don't even have, I don't even have the Jesus part down yet. That's okay, I'm glad you're here. Because as I shared with you, the Holy Spirit is actually the one who drew you to this place this morning. It's an amazing thing. And so I haven't preached at you about your sin or your failure or, your, or how messed up you are. I have no idea where you're at, but I can tell you this. The presence of God is here. Jesus wants to meet you. He wants to become the authority of your life. He wants to become your Savior. He wants to become the one who saves you. And, and then this is the hard part that sometimes people like, they leave out because they don't want to like make it too hard for you to put faith in Jesus. But he also wants to become your Lord, your boss. We used to explain to our kids what the gospel looked like in that way. Yes, Jesus came and was born and lived a perfect life and he died for our sin. And that's the good news about Jesus. But, but the fullness of the good news about Jesus is that not only did he die for our sin, and if we accept that, we become his. But he also lived for us and died for us so that he could become our king. The Bible says that at the end of all things, at the end of all time, every knee and every tongue is going to bow and then confess that Jesus is Lord. And I just want to lay this on you as we close this morning. That day will come when the lordship of Jesus will be recognized. The question is, is what do you and I do with it today? 
So many people in this room have yielded their life to the Lordship of Jesus. And if you get a chance to talk with them, if you'll let their light shine on your path, what you're going to hear over and over again is their testimony is that walking with Jesus didn't really make things any easier, but man, did it make things sweeter. It didn't pave the way. It didn't make anybody in this room a millionaire. It didn't, it didn't immediately solve the problems of dysfunction in a marriage. But you see, as a person becomes more like Jesus because they walk with him, everything begins to change after that. So maybe that's you. We're going to sing one last song like we always do. And we would love to pray with you this morning. So if you have a need, as we sing this last song, you come forward. Our prayer team is going to be up here. Uh, they are wonderful people. They are trustworthy people. They are beautiful, safe people. And you can come and you can ask them to pray with you about anything you want. You need healing. Your marriage is a mess. Your family is a disaster. Whatever it is, it's fine. You come up. You don't have to leave this place the same way that you came today. Just trust Him. Let's stand together. I'm just going to pray really quickly over each one. And we're going to sing this song. And if you'd like prayer this morning, why don't you come? Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for those who are watching online. And God, today as we have been in your word, as we have been in worship and conversation in your presence, God, I pray, Jesus, for every person that's here that we would begin to awaken to what it is you want to do in us and through us in this world, in this time. God, the good works that you put in front of us to do, the reality of the overpowering, wonderful, gracious, and glorious light that you are in us to be revealed to the world around us so that they can know you. Father, for any person who needs to respond today, whether it's for a miracle whether it's because they need to talk with someone about putting their faith and trust in you. God, I pray that you give them, by your Holy Spirit, the courage to respond today. In Jesus' name. Let's... Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.